The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. The PFF Podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. I'm a huge fan of Simply Safe, and it's ready for anything that gets thrown at it. Whether it's a storm taking out your power, Simply Safe is ready. Intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. They could destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will get you the help you need. Sure, it may be overkill. Maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario, but that's what makes Simply Safe's home security so great. It's always ready. Sam installed it. I installed it. We are loving it. It was so easy to install. The instructions were great. The customer service has been fantastic. And best of all, it does not cost an arm and a leg. Instead, they only charge you what's fair. 24-7 professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. No contracts, no hidden fees. I simply recommend Simply Safe to everyone I know. You've got to check it out, and you can do it right now. It's simplysafe.com slash PFF. That's simplysafe.com slash PFF to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash PFF for as little as fourteen ninety nine a month. PFF Podcast is also brought to you by True Car. Hey there, diehards. Here are some football facts that even you might not know about. The first football game was played in 1869. In an average game, the ball is typically in play for only about 11 minutes. And finally, pizza consumption rates go up during the week of a big game. Okay, you probably knew that last one. But here's another fact you might not know that's actually really useful, especially if you plan on tailgating. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With our certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience whether you buy new or used. And with True Car, users see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before they buy. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. It's your Week 8 review. We're live here on YouTube. I'm about to get a Chris Collinsworth cramp, by the way. Oh, yeah? I might kick the table. Well, no, don't do what he Hamstring. did, which is boot the table across the studio oh, here. Oh, God. That was live on yeah. draft night. I suggest you guys go check out our live mock draft. Poor, poor Chris. From a year ago. Oh, wait. We said we were going to bury anything that criticizes Chris. This is, well, only any, this yeah. is poorly done. Anything that we don't Cuts. want to hear. Cuts this whole thing. You're okay if you're comfortable with him hearing you mocking him. We'll just we'll cut this and put this at the end because he sure. listens. He's a big. He's an avid listener. Welcome in, Sam. Sorry, thanks. I just, uh, I'm cramping up over here. I got to drink more water. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. Except we're freezing to death back in the uh, the podcast studio again. It's chilly. It's a little chilly over here. We got to figure out how to get some uh, some heat. Yeah. flowing through here. You think you've identified the problem being that the old podcast nook door was closed? I it's think it's warm in there. It's warm in the nook over there. I mean, it might be. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to create, you know, a, a an upswelling of warmth in this room. It's we'll quite see. a large room, but well, okay, we got to grow. We got to grow better. It. All right, so we got an action-packed show. It's action-packed. Action-packed. We've all, we, you and I have both been fired up all morning because people are creating stories where they shouldn't be. So mm. we'll, we'll talk about that. There are stories where there shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> I predicted another near-perfect Thursday night 
predictions. You, you were lamenting how I, I just I'm like within a number. Right. You have this irritating habit of being able to call a number almost exactly. And all right, so you gave a full you gave a full box score for Brock Osweiler on Thursday Night Football way back when. Um, and you weren't exactly on the money with the whole box score, but you got his PFF grade to within a grading point. And that's the most important thing. Right. That's the most important thing. And it, was, it wasn't like it was a middle-of-the-road grade that anyone could get. It was in the 40s. It was like 48 or whatever it was, and you got it to within a point. Yeah, it was like I said 48.3, and it was 48.9, whatever it was. Um, to be fair, I mean, he had that terrible turnover-worthy play that I tweeted out that would have that made my box score numbers look better. Yeah. And that stupid play to Devontae Parker – where he gets popped and it bounces up and clean 40 yards for uh, Osweiler there. Um, so I was happy about that. Our Thursday night prediction was pretty good as the, uh, the Texans beat the Dolphins. And I that was annoying, yeah. almost predicted Osweiler's grade to a T. So you're up this week for uh, Raiders 49ers. Yeah, it's my turn. Yeah. On the upside, also, uh, I'm pretty sure I've just solved my uh, cold issue by almost scalding myself to death with coffee. I saw you were having issues over there. Well, so there's two holes in the top of this uh, thermos cup, right? This one, the small one up here, is supposed to give you the airflow so the liquid can pass through the main hall into your mouth without, you know, mm-hmm. killing you. But sometimes it gets, like, blocked by the condensation. It's, it appears to be a design flaw. And when that happens, you'll tilt the cup up like this and nothing comes out because the, the surface tension or whatever is preventing it. Then the bubble in there will break and it'll all flow into your mouth at a million degrees and almost kill you. Are you not endorsing this Yeti? <sighs> I'm just saying I I appear to have encountered a minor design flaw in the Yeti, and so far it's causing me mild distress having just poured scalding hot coffee down my throat. I I told you it was action-packed. There's a lot going on here other than your your inability to use the Yeti. Listen, Um, if anybody is going to be throwing stones in glass houses about drinking, it should not be you. We don't need to touch on that here. Anyway. Uh, three World Series games occurred since our last podcast. Yeah. The Red Sox are world champs, uh-huh. as you predicted. I did. It, you did say it would be four games. It did take them five. Look, it, it took them one game longer than, than it should have done, but the bottom line is they're just not in our class, Steve. Well, it's because of the 18-inning game Friday night. You must have stayed up for that. Of course. The game ended at 3.30 Eastern time. Right. It was incredible. Uh-huh. Uvalde comes in. Uh-huh. So even though he got the loss on Friday night, he essentially saved the Red Sox yeah. and just won the World Series. I was never concerned. It, w- it was a formality. Yeah. There was a lot of, lot of great performances there. We'll, we'll watch the replay so you just have you know, a little bit more analysis on it okay. for the next show. But mm-hmm. congrats to uh, my hometown, Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Another, uh, another championship. All right. Let's get into this week's action. Let's start with the Sunday night football game. Saints 30, Minnesota Vikings 20. Um. I don't even want to acknowledge the stories. <laughs> you have to acknowledge the stories. People are criticizing Kirk Cousins. Yes. I want to start by saying I am not, by any means, a Kirk Cousins apologist. I think the general narrative that I stick to with Kirk Cousins' career is that he has unbelievable stats if you match him up over the last few years. And if you just isolate his stats, you can make a case for him as a top five or six quarterback in the NFL. I don't see him as a top five or six quarterback in the NFL year in, year out. So I think he's been – I think his stats are inflated. I think there are issues to his game. He was not the reason the Minnesota Vikings lost last night. He's a really interesting player because – I'm just, for a few different reasons. He's really smart. Like, he's an intelligent human being. You watch some of these um, videos that came out in the offseason, him sort of putting out his own stuff. One on the draft guys who was talking to some of these draft prospects. Another that was like a look back on his free agent, you know, the move – to the Vikings and how all that played out. Um, there's been an off-season article about uh, the kind of stuff that he does, like on a personal level, to get ready in terms of, you know, analyzing brain waves, sleeping in hyperbaric chambers, 58 other things to gain a marginal, incremental percentage of whatever. He's clearly a very intelligent person who um, kind of concentrates on on how he can possibly gain an edge. You've mentioned before that. He's consci- he seems to be conscious almost of the bottom line statistics, like his box score numbers. Yeah. So late in the game when he could be just slinging the ball, YOLOing it like Ryan Fitzpatrick, desperately trying to pull them back in a game, he's kind of taking the check down that's got to get him 20 yards and make his overall passer rating and completion percentage and all that kind of stuff look better than they might otherwise if he was just heaving the ball into trouble. Um, and then the other thing about him is 
we talked, I think, in the office last week about how there's a difference between like in IQ intelligence and sort of innate football intelligence. And there's a certain thing that people have this ability to instantly make the correct decision without having to sort of analyze and think about it. And some people have that ability and some people don't really. And when you put the pressure on, it's just an instant snap, quick decision they need to make. Some guys will make, will screw it up. And Kirk Cousins has a history of these kind of brain fart decisions where it's like an immediate decision. He just does something weird. So last week it was the lateral, the backwards lateral fumble thing where he threw the ball away backwards, which is obviously a live ball. That was one of the worst plays of the season. That was one of the worst plays you'll ever see. Right, but it, and it was inexplicably bad, right? right. The only way of, of, um, of explaining that is that there was just a short circuit in his brain where he didn't, you know, it was a bad decision. There's no reason where you, why you do that. You just glitch, right? right? Which is similar to the Neil Spike mess that he had way back in Washington. Do you want to quickly summarize what that was for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, I think it was 2015. It's the end of the first half. They rush up to the line. It was amazing because he essentially screwed this up twice. He got to the line to spike the ball, which was the obvious play. He snapped the ball, actually forgot to spike it. And the ref just blew the ball dead because he was like, Kirk, I mean, everybody's spiking it there. You were supposed to spike it. And you could almost see him apologizing to the ref for saying, yeah, I forgot to spike. Like, just my bad. Yeah. So then they call timeout. They come out of the huddle. And coming out of the huddle, there's about eight seconds. You, you have a chance to run a play and then kick a field goal. And he comes out and takes a knee. Just takes a knee. They were out of, they were out of timeouts. It was, th- that was literally like pressing the wrong play on Madden. It was literally yeah. like you're in the, the special teams spot in Madden, and instead of spike, you clicked QB knee, yeah. Neil. But you were actually supposed to run a play because you had no timeout. I mean, it was, the, it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. So again, the only explanation is just some sort of short circuit in the brain in a pressure situation. Um, last night, there was a play where it looked like he'd fumble it away. Turns out he was down, but even just taking that sack was inexplicably terrible. Right. Um, so Cousins is this, I think he, we've talked again before about him being a high-variance quarterback capable of doing very good, very bad. Um, so he's this high-variance quarterback who is capable of bringing the Vikings back from these big deficit games. We've seen that before this season against the Packers. I think they were with a 17 down at one point in that game. He, he brought some, them all the way back. The kicker though. missed three times. Um, so he's done that. He'll always sort of pad the stats a little bit, whether that's conscious or whether that's just, you know, the way things have worked out over his career. But then you do get these every now and again. There's just a glitch where he does something inexplicably terrible. Yeah. Um, so he's this fascinating quarterback to, to sort of look at at the moment. But like, if you are coming out of the Vikings season at this point and say Kirk Cousins is the problem, you are... Well, you're doing one of two things. You're either completely oblivious to what's actually the problem, i.e. several things before Kirk Cousins. Yep. Just as the offensive line is maybe the worst in the league, certainly the top three worst offensive lines in the league. He's under an unrelenting amount of pressure consistently. He's not holding the ball longer than a lot of quarterbacks. He's middle of the pack somewhere in terms of time to throw, et cetera, et cetera. Or you're just trying to create you know, a clickbait story. I think it's clickbait. Yeah, those are probably your two options. I mean, here's I, honestly, I think we've I think we nailed our Kirk Cousins offseason analysis right. to a T. Right, he's been so, the guy the Vikings wanted him to be. Yeah, he's a, he's an 82.8 PFF grade right now, currently eleventh. That'll shuffle a little bit as the games come in. It's about where we rank him as a quarterback. Right. He's in that you know eight to fifteen range and in it's a given in, year. It's in the same range that Case Keenum was a year ago, and that Teddy Bridgewater was before that, and that Sam Bradford was in the middle. Like he's in the same range, but it's how it's. It's comprised. Exactly. It's how it's comprised. It's in the thing we said when he was signed. We said all of those guys were very much on the conservative end of the spectrum, when it was, whether it was Bridgewater, Keenum, or Bradford. They all ranked in the top 10 at avoiding turnover-worthy plays. They were all on the low end of big-time throws. Cousins is making a ton of big-time throws. I just tweeted out he's tied for third with the most big-time throws under pressure mm-hmm. this season. And because he's willing to take – it's funny because he protects the stats – but he also has the ability to make those those tight window throws. I think it's the timing of when he does it, though. Right. right? It's it's in those. We're down two touchdowns, and we're probably not going to make the comeback. I'm not going to take those chances. I don't want that garbage time interception. Yeah. That's that's my issue with Cousins. But that the the Green Bay game was the game he was in there. 
you know, he's been brought in to do. They, the Vikings basically made the determination in the offseason that Keenum, uh, Bridgewater, Bradford, none of those guys are capable of coming back in that game. Right. And if the Vikings find themselves in that situation where it matters most in the playoffs, in the NFC Championship game, say, they need a quarterback that can do that. And Cousins is the guy, and he brought them all the way back in that game. It, it wasn't all all the way back because, you know, the kicker missed and they tied. But they don't make that comeback without Kirk Cousins. The Rams game this year, you know, Rams put up 38 points. The Vikings were in that shootout all the way because Kirk Cousins was capable of doing that. Again, I don't think they're in that shootout without Cousins as the quarterback with one of those other three guys. At least that's the determination the Vikings made in the offseason. And so far, he's been exactly what they thought he would be. Yeah, I think, I think the only difference here is he's played better under pressure than he had in his career. What was, you, he went from, what, 90 to 40s? Yeah, it was like a 50-point drop. So this year he's a 67.1 in the PFF grades. If you check out PFF Elite, 67.1 grade under pressure, which is excellent. That's in the green. That's excellent for under pressure. He's third in the league in passer rating, against, uh, passer rating under pressure, 91.1. That's generally unsustainable. That should actually regress. So this would be actually my fear for the Minnesota Vikings. The fact that he's facing the second most pressure in the NFL, once you put the sample size high enough, it's Deshaun Watson, then Kirk Cousins. He's doing that behind with a quick release. He's top 10 in the NFL at getting rid of the ball for the most part. And he's playing at such a high level under pressure. Usually we say, hey, good job, quarterback. You're playing well under pressure. But we know statistically it's very tough to maintain. Mm-hmm. That'd be my fear if I'm a Vikings fan. And then strategically, the path, I mean, it sounds simple, you know, get a better offensive line. Yeah. But if you actually want to put numbers to it, if instead of pressure, him getting pressured 40 42% of the time, if you just get that down 32% thir- to 35%, you're giving him more opportunities where from a clean pocket, he's a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, it was, I think, 49% in the Saints game. Um, Cameron Jordan in particular was dominant again. That's, the, you know, the last time they met was the NFC or the divisional round of the playoffs. And Cameron Jordan almost was the reason the Vikings didn't win that game. He was destroying them in the second half again. So, yeah, it's the Vikings are kind of what we said to a T heading into the season, which is the thing that's probably going to hold them back is the offensive line. It's bad enough that it will cost them games. So far, Cousins has been mitigating that to an amazing degree, um, but it's probably not going to be enough long-term, and it's particularly not enough when turnovers strike, which is what happened so, in that game. So let's discuss last night. We have an Adam Thielen fumble yeah right um that completely changes the tide of the game it really did and then the interception and i just i just want to i just really want to defend what we do here even more and more because i think the nuance to this stuff is so important kirk cousins throws this pass he's expecting stefan diggs on a shallow cross i think i think it was tight tightly covered you said he's got a step separation let's pretend it's completely tightly covered okay it's a shallow cross if, if Stephon Diggs just continues his route, it's knocked away. It goes from second and eight to third and eight. And this pass will, will never be talked about again in the history of the world. Yeah. Instead, Diggs stops his route. The ball goes right to the Saints defender for a pick six. And it gives you this emotionally charged response. Kirk Cousins is blowing the game. That's a bad decision. You can't force that pass. All this stuff. When the true context about it is 99% of the time, well, 99% of the time, if the receiver just continues his route, it falls incomplete. It's not the best decision in the world, right? There's a difference between a not-so-great decision and then an egregious decision that we would call like a minus 1.5 or a minus 2 pick 6. I don't even think it's a bad decision at all. Um, the pocket is collapsing around him. He has to start navigating this traffic. He sees the shallow cross coming across in the front of him. The Stefan Diggs is like a yard ahead of the defender that's trailing in his wake. It's man coverage. There's no reason that he should not emerge on the other. So he, he sees the guy kind of go past a lineman who's now in his way because he's navigating this pocket. He takes a step to his right, throws the ball out. There is literally no reason that Stefan Diggs should not emerge the other side of this offensive lineman or on defensive lineman. Again, in the same situation, Diggs with the defender trailing behind him and the ball arriving. I mean, it's not going to be a big play, but it sure beats the hell out of taking a sack or just throwing it away for no reason. It's a perfectly legitimate play. They just got really unlucky with the timing. Now, against generally the rules on these shallow crossing patterns are if it's, in zo- if it's zone coverage, the guy in the crosser finds a place to settle down yep. in a hole between defenders, and that's why you see them stop. 
Um, if it's man coverage, you've got to keep running for precisely this reason. Because right. if you don't keep running, there is a guy trailing you behind. And when you stop, he's probably going to keep going to the ball. And that's where you get the interception. Where what looked like it happened this time is when Cousins got into trouble in the pocket and started to navigate his way through, Diggs saw that and basically turned this into a scramble drill. Like at the exact moment Cousins decided to put the ball in the air, Diggs thought, oh crap, he's in trouble. I'm going to reverse back and try and give him a space left to, to, get, to get open. So it's not, it's not like you say, okay, this is all on Diggs. It's a terrible call. I'm the, not the, even trying to say right, it's his the, fault. The receiver yeah. screwed the, the quarterback. So Diggs... I don't, I don't want to say he did the right thing, but there's at least you understand what Diggs did, right? He was trying to do something to help the quarterback, and they just sure. ended up on different pages. But from Cousins' point of view, there is literally no reason that that should not have emerged the other side of his line of sight and been a perfectly acceptable play. You say it was tight coverage and the defender probably would have broken up. I honestly think it might even have been a complete pass, and they catch it for whatever it was, three yards downfield. Um, again, we're not talking about it. And it's would, a complete would, pass under pressure. I'd have to rewatch from right. your angle on that. And it doesn't. Ma- and it's way. one of those ones where there's probably not enough evidence to be able to say either way, right? I can't. You're not going to be able to quite tell with the track of the ball where it's going to end up if the receiver keeps running. And but whatever. The absolute worst case that happens is it's probably broken up, and we're not talking about it. Right. The best case is it's caught, and we're not talking about it. Either way, it's a completely inconsequential play that turns into a pick six because the the receiver stops running. Yeah, and, and in our world, it's not turnover worthy because we actually have three levels of turnover worthy plays. The lowest level, a minus one, is actually intercepted about 25% of the time. Then it goes up. The next level is about 68% of the time. Then it goes up to about 85, 90% of the time. So we're very, and we're very cautious about when we say this thing's turnover worthy. Like, that's on the quarterback. It's the quarterback's fault, right? This does not g- fall into that bucket. It falls into the, I think Dan Orlovsky did a great job of, of summing it up. You know, bad break, buddy, or BB, right. b- bad break, bro. I mean, and that's right. A bad break, it's a pick six. It's not a narrative-defining, narrative-changing pass. And that's what it is, is that people... But it happened on primetime, Sam. Well, that too. People jump on these things as ways of perpetuating a narrative, right? So for the people that don't like Cousins, it's, well, look, Cousins is not careful with the ball. Other quarterbacks, careful quarterbacks, would never make that throw. We went, well, that's, clear, that's clearly crap. Well, it so, took you five minutes to dig right. up Aaron Rodgers making a worse throw. We that just, was turnover worthy. We just put in a few little parameters into PFF Ultimate back here. We pulled up the playlist, and in five minutes of looking, we found Aaron Rodgers make essentially the same play. He got in trouble in the pocket, had to avoid some pressure, fired a ball on a shallow crossing route. This time, the placement was even worse. He left it behind his receiver. Now, if the receiver had stopped running, it would have definitely been a pick six. Even as it was, it was broken up, and the defender had a better shot at it than the, than the uh, receiver did. But again, like that is the narrative, right? If this is Aaron Rodgers, it's broken up. It doesn't go in the box score. We don't talk about it. If it's Kirk Cousins, it's, well, that's a terrible. Why was he even putting that ball in the air? Right. That's a risky decision that great quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers just don't make. And Cousins has made some terrible decisions. Oh, yeah. I, I'm all for taking Kirk Cousins out when he makes bad decisions. This just wasn't one of them. Exactly. I, I think, long story short here, we're just trying to say we, we try to get to the bottom of things. We try to tell things exactly like it is. Nothing's narrative-driven on our end. We're just trying to add proper context. Right. Um, on the Saints' side of this, I'm going to repeat what I said about them last year. So Drew Brees, his one interception the other, last night was far worse than anything Kirk Cousins did. He was actually under pressure. That was terrible. Saw the pressure, forced a pass, overthrew it by about five yards, had Michael Thomas open just a, quick, just a touch quicker. His interception was far worse than Kirk Cousins. Brees plays his worst game of the season, and they score 30 points and win. If anything, the Saints, just like last year, where they found multiple ways to win, that you know they, they were able... What do we have here? Ooh, we have some breaking news that's uh-huh. just been given here. Is this is this for real? I see a check mark. Here's some breaking news, Sam. If anything, the Saints proved just like last year that they can win with defense. They can win with the running game, and of course, at any given game, Drew Brees can go win a game for us. So, uh, any last takeaways on Sunday Night Football before we yes. break our news? Before we get to the breaking news, I would just like to say that I love this Taysom Hill trick offense. The Saints broke out of play with all three quarterbacks on the field at the same time, which I think is the first and only time in the PFF era since 2006 that that's happened. The three quarterbacks have been on the field at once. It is kind of ridiculous. Uh, the, 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 the decision to take 
Drew Brees and take the ball out of his hands when he's a top five quarterback never makes any sense to me. Taysom Hill continues to prove me wrong. Yes, you just shut, you shut the hell up and let Taysom Hill do fun. what he wants to do. You ready to break the news? Since we're live, this is perfect. Yeah, according to Adam Schefter, and I'm With just checking. Check right. It's not. It's not. It is a checkmark, Adam Schefter, and it's not a darn Schefter. It's it is actually darn. Adam Schefter. The Browns have fired head coach Hugh Jackson. Wow. That's a big Per one. source. Ooh, a source said that. Yeah, per source. Let's see if I have. You don't have sources. Um, that's no, interesting. I have no sources telling me anything. That's very interesting because they were getting into this, this Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, uh, you know. I hear a cheer outside. That could be <laughs> video producer Tyler. Can you open the door, Matt? Is that Tyler? Is that a celebration? All right. Tyler There's a mini celebration from, our, uh, from Tyler, the Browns fan over here. Um, I'm never an advocate for – thank you, Matt. I'm never an advocate for firing anyone, but it did feel like a change of scenery was needed there. And I'm very fascinated to see where the Browns move here going forward for next year. And this, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because anyone that watched Hard Knocks could see there was clearly like tension between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson even before the season started, just with meetings and all, you know, direction of things and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the play calling was has been problematic so far this year. Yeah, you know, they've been doing a lot of bad things that is. Yeah, I think was it Baker Mayfield was head and shoulders number one in terms of third and long plays this so far this season. They've been running on second and long all season long. We hate that. Right. They've just been putting him in this ugly situation um, consistently because of some ugly play calling. So when Hugh Jackson said he was going to have to get involved in the play calling, it kind of made sense, right? The play calling has not been good, and yet he is the guy that's been booted out the door um, you know, after they stuck with him through one and thirty-one, it's just it's interesting. I don't actually have a strong take either way, but it's fa- a fascinating dynamic. Yeah, it just felt like it was inevitable. Um, just some of the things you hear coming out of there, where there's there is disconnect, like you've mentioned, and in, in various things, there is this. There's also just it feels like half the NFL is just moving forward, and they're getting the Sean McVay's of the world, and they're. You know Frank Reichs and, and Doug Peterson. They just they're move, They're at least attempting to move forward into these uh, these forward thinking offensive coaches. And it it doesn't hurt to to think what would Baker Mayfield do with one of those coaches. There's a great statistic from uh, Ben Stockwell. Six straight Browns head coaches have been fired following the following Cleveland's second game against the Steelers that season. Come on, apparently really? uh, this is Ben. I don't know if he's true or not, but that's that's the stat Ben broke out. We are so unprofessional. We don't even fact check here. God, no. no. Fa- I just I break news very awkwardly, and uh, we don't fact check. No. But, but here we are. We're live on YouTube. We're recording the podcast. It's, it's, it's all new territory for us, but that's what we're here for, discussing Hugh Jackson. So do you go get Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma? So uh, Baker's got his, uh, his buddy? I mean, obviously, that, that's a connection. Yeah. I really think a year from now, the Browns, I think on both sides of the ball, they need a shakeup. Miles Garrett was complaining about play calling from Greg Williams yesterday. You shake up both sides of the ball. You have talent on both sides of the ball. I mean, we're talking about their weak at left tackle. The playmakers have underachieved, but I think they're talented. Yeah. The defensive, uh, the defensive side of the ball has a ton of talent. Both you sides shake that do. Things, you shake things up, and they can, they can do some damage. Both sides do. Really, left tackle is the only major problem on that offensive line. And to be fair to Desmond Harrison... We are talking about an undrafted free agent out of West Georgia. Oh, yeah. Like, he's not supposed to be good right right now. Right. So, you know, he's been playing pretty terribly. He's got one good game in there against Oakland, who have the league's most inept pass rush. And and again, we're doing that from the perspective of an NFL tackle, not for Desmond Harrison, who is an undrafted So he's been playing badly by the standard that he needs to be kept to, which is quality starting left tackles in the NFL, right? right? But you don't expect him to be good given where he's come from and what he's been thrust into. So it's not to say that he has no shot going forward, but at the very minimum, you probably want a backup plan that's better than moving your left guard to left tackle. Yeah. So, you know, the offseason, they do need to look at that, whether Desmond Harrison is going to take that leap forward or whether they need to get another starting left tackle. But realistically, outside of that, the offense, or the offense could use a receiver, you know, a legitimate Say a Josh Gordon. Like a Josh Gordon. Yeah. Type. Yeah. Uh, a deep threat that can catch the ball, unlike Antonio Callaway. 
Um, oh, Callaway will be better. He'll be fine. Yeah. He'll be fine. So they need a receiver. Um, they could use a left tackle. But outside of that, that is not an untalented group on offense. The defense has a lot of talent. The scheme is just too boom or bust, I think, at the moment. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some moves to be made. But this Cleveland team is not in bad shape. Yeah, the defense is creating a ton of turnovers, which we know is difficult to sustain. And the fact that they're doing such a good job of forcing turnovers and not winning games is also um, just tough to do. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about the Browns going forward for the uh, seventh straight year. <laughs> Optimism going forward for the Browns. Um, so anything else to touch on in that game with the Steelers? Hugh Jackson is out. If you guys are just tuning in here live on YouTube, I know there's probably thousands. How many in the chat, Matt? How many, how many millions are in the chat right now? Three, four million, I think it says. Don't just ignore the number that says like ninety nine. It's really three or four million live here on YouTube. Worst game of uh, Baker Mayfield's career. Yeah, he's, he hasn't been great these last few weeks. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, let me just say I, I'm I'm optimistic about him and just a different voice in there. Oh, a different voice in the yeah in the huddle, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? So that's where I am on that. Let's fly through some of these other games. The Packers. And the Rams, um, I thought this was going to be a crazy shootout. Was this, this was a funny game. 29-27, Rams beat the Packers. And it really, both offenses are so potentially explosive with Aaron Rodgers at the helm on one side. And, of course, what the Rams are doing. It felt like both teams did such a good job defensively. Yeah. And it was 29-27. Yeah. The, the Rams were on the ropes for a while in this game. The Packers really did. They got out to a lead. They were doing what they needed to do. They kind of held... Um, that Rams offense for a good portion of the game. And then slowly it started to go the way it was supposed to go. So Aaron Donald had been kept quiet early, and then he started to wreck the guards for Green Bay. They'd been left one-on-one at times. I can't believe how often he was. It it took a while, but then he just started to destroy them. Um, They also stopped conspiring to let Troy Hill be one-on-one with people, which was was going badly. Poor Troy. Um, we still have faith. They were also the the uh, the Packers defense was doing some crazy things. Jair Alexander had five pass breakups in that game. It's everywhere, there was another uh, an actual completed pass to Brandon Cooks where he just managed to get his hand underneath the ball anywhere other than where that ball ended up. Jair was all over it. Like right. he he had a, a standing game. Uh, but then slowly you just saw it's it's kind of like the Chiefs, right? And so you can slow them down for a period of time, but sooner or later, they're going to get you. And it's just a case of how much they do and in what position you're in at the time when right. they do manage to do that. Then, of course, it all came down to the end of the game where it looked like Aaron Rodgers was going to get a shot and Ty Montgomery went and did something crazy. Yeah, it would have been great drama, great TV, Aaron Rodgers trying to make the comeback against the Rams, but it was a fumble. And I keep pointing back to the now I point back to the Rams, the same thing I said about the Saints. As great as they are offensively, um, they're a little hit or miss defensively, but they're able to let, you know, make big stops with some of the guys they have on the back end with Aaron Donald up front. But then you just, you've got special teams, forced fumbles and stuff like that. Like the Rams have these other components that they just they're finding ways to win outside of the big stuff, which is, you know, efficient offense and playmaking defense. Did you see the stuff that came out about Ty Montgomery? Yeah, supposed to take a knee. Yeah. So the Rams score, they um, kick it back to Green Bay. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is going to get about two minutes to go down the field and answer, right? Which is an eternity. Right. Montgomery takes it out of the end zone, fumbles the ball away. Rams get it back, essentially game over. Yeah. Um, so when you thought it was just Ty Montgomery deciding to take it out of the end zone, it was a bad decision. But it turns out that he had, he had been explicitly told, take a knee. Do not bring it out of the end zone. Went, ah, screw it, I'm doing it anyway. Fumbled the ball away. I mean, that is about as bad as it can possibly get. If you're going to directly go against the instructions you just got given, you cannot really fumble bad. the ball away. That's really bad. Like, you would be in trouble if you just got an inconsequential return out of that, let alone fumble it away and cost him the game. Like, that's the kind of thing that gets players cut. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he didn't last much longer in the roster after that. Yeah, seems like a pretty easy in- instruction. Yes. Just... Just don't do anything. Yeah, there, I mean, there's not much, you know, there's not much gray area there. When the Rams did start to to come back, it was like they were getting to Jared Goff with the blitz. Man, Mike Pettin can can dial him up. But Goff got into a nice rhythm. He's had a few drives this year 
where he's just like four, five, six passes in a row that are just on point, and he, he almost kind of like almost a little streaky. He can get. I mean, when he gets on those streaks, though, you know, it's five, six, seven passes, whatever it is, and they're just moving down the field. And plus, you have MVP Todd Gurley. Yes, Gurley had that nice catch along the sideline. Did um, that was a really, really unlucky play by the defender. Oh, yeah. his arm exactly where that, it should have been, deflected the ball away, and somehow throw. it just blasted its way into Todd Gurley's hands that, anyway. That was a bad throw by Goff that, that Gurley kind of bailed him out. But, yeah, that Rams, the Rams team, I mean, when they, start, when they play the Chiefs in a few weeks, it's just going to be incredible. They also play the Saints, right? Or is it the Chiefs that play the Saints? The Saints are playing one of those two big teams I don't think soon. the Chiefs are playing the NFC South. So then They're I think it must West. be the Rams, right? Sounds right. I mean, they, they look like the class of the NFC, both teams. Um, so this is what I'm saying about the NFC. I mean, I know the Chiefs are in the AFC, but the NFC is just so tough every single week. Right. I mean, this, the NFC North alone. Have you seen the state of that division right now? Yeah. So this is why, again, the Cousins criticism. Cousins has had games this, this year. He's had to go up against Rodgers and the Packers. He's had to go up against Wentz and the Eagles, Breeze and the Saints. I mean, the QB combinations, the QBs in the, in, in the NFC, almost all of them give you a chance to win, plus... Gets just good teams. Yeah. The NFC North right now, the Bears are 4-3. and three. They've now taken the lead of the division back, having, I think, gone into this week bottom of the division. Are you ahead of the team that has the tie if you're 4-3 and three and they're 4-3-1? and one? I'm getting there. Chicago Bears, 4-3, and three, leading the division. Again, having said, I think they were bottom of the division heading into this week. So they've gone from 4th oh, to 1st wow. yeah. in this week. The Vikings are 2nd at 4-3-1. and one. Yeah, The Packers are 3rd at 3-3-1. Three, three and, and the Lions are 4th at 3-4. and four. So one game separates the division. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's just a tough conference. And it's, it's good. It's fun football because these teams are going to beat each other up. And I keep coming back to, like, as a fan or as an analyst, don't overreact to every single week, like, oh, my team's great or my team's terrible based off one win or one loss because everybody's beating each other up. <laughs> the Lions in fourth are the only team with a winning record within the division at 1-0. and There you go. That's just, I mean, that division's just chaos. Fascinating. So, yeah, NFC, I think, is just absolutely loaded. It's a playoff playoff game. That was a playoff game last night. Saints at Vikings, playoff game. Yeah, probably Packers, is. Packers-Rams, playoff game. These are, you know, the Packers are in danger of not making the playoffs. Yeah. With Aaron Rodgers at the helm, with this emerging defense. It's just how loaded the NFC is. All right, what else we got? Let's fly through some games. We're dragging. We're taking uh, yeah. a while. Oh, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about this week, especially the uh, World Series. Uh, Eagles at Jaguars, 24-18. to 18. Uh, Carson Wentz overcomes uh, two turnovers early to throw for three touchdowns. Played a pretty clean game after the early uh, turnovers. And uh, I, saw, I saw our friend Josh Norris just kind of describe Blake Bortles and the Jaguars. There's just a cap on how good that offense can be. That's another just nice way of putting it. Um, Just a cap. Yeah, and and for as as not great as Cam Robinson was at left tackle, the guy they have out there right now, Josh Walker, is terrible. So it was like if you watch that game, we had it on the background here. Not even the background. It was just on um, as the early game in the office. And every time you looked up, Brandon Graham was killing Josh Walker. Brandon uh, Graham was killing Josh Walker around the edge, and it was just a case of whether Bortles got the ball out before he got killed or not. Right. It was just every snap, it seemed like. So he, was, he gave up eight total pressures, um, but I haven't actually checked this number, but there's a bunch more uh, you know, blown blocks that, he, that didn't get to become pressure because the ball came out. So that's a major problem. But don't worry, because they're going to get Leonard Fournette back soon, so that should right the ship there. Yeah. Um, by the way, Brandon Graham continues to break my heart. Yeah, how many uh, sacks is that now, Steve? Still on two sacks. Two. Seven seven hurries yesterday. Two sacks, you say? Yeah, two Uh, sacks. So he needs eight in the final eight games. Two sacks and 34 other pressures. Mm. Three hits and 31 hurries. This doesn't sound like he's doing what you thought he would do this season. This is classic old-school Brandon Graham. Still grading incredibly because of the pressure. So what you're saying is he's doing exactly what I said he would do. Yeah. And very much not what you said he would do. Which yep. sounds a lot like you're going to owe me lunch soon. It does sound like that. Excellent. But, uh, it's still early. It's still early. Well, it's Wait not really. Now it's halfway. That's not very early. Um, I don't want to get into the Bortle stuff again. But again, when you're, when you're so... If you play the game and you're so dependent on your defense to play a great game, and then you're dependent on the running game, and then you have a quarterback that you just hope won't screw it up, mm-hmm. there's just too much dependence there. Because all, you know, some, sometimes there are games where the Eagles score 24. Yeah. And all you need to do is find a way to score 25. And, whatever you and think, you're just limited. Whatever you think about Bortles, he's not a good quarterback at not screwing it up. 
Like there no, are better it. guys out there if all you need is don't screw it up. Having said that, he got boned by DJ Chark dropping the ball in the end zone, which yeah. you know was a major problem. We also had Bortles, uh, one of the unluckiest uh, turnover-worthy play to interception ratios this year. Mm. Interceptions are inflated by on poor Bortles. Let's go uh, Baltimore Ravens at the Carolina Panthers. We were answering a lot of questions about you know, why I don't believe in the Panthers, why we don't believe in the Panthers in general. Right. We got called out by a lot of Panthers fans after that game because, you know, you didn't believe in them, and we said Cam Newton wasn't accurate, which he isn't. I mean, Cam Newton, from a grading standpoint, is essentially the same exact guy. I um, mean, we actually had a, a good discussion on Twitter <laughs> with someone who said, you guys said DJ Moore and the receivers were going to help make him look a little bit better this year. And, and actually, our grades and everything would back that up. The grades are similar to what he's been in previous years, but the stats are better, even though his stats are middle of the pack in today's NFL. But the stats are better, and that's what we do here. We isolate the quarterback play, and we could say, yes, adding some of those you know, shorter passes and some of the talent around him has helped Cam Newton look better statistically. I want to reclaim the comparison again. Oh, boy. This is like the Josh Allen thing, right? Which Cam is, Newton is Josh Allen. No, which is Josh Allen supporters... You just get, you focus on the wrong thing, right? Why fight this idea that Cam Newton is an inaccurate quarterback? He just is. It's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's not like hating. It is a factual, evidence-based conclusion of looking at Cam Newton's game. He is an inaccurate quarterback. He will never be one of the most accurate quarterbacks in football. Accept that and look at the other stuff, right? I don't care that he's an inaccurate quarterback. All it does is shape certain facets of what you should and shouldn't be doing with Cam Newton. It does not determine whether he is good or bad, right? It's just a facet of his game. He's inaccurate, therefore you do X, Y, and Z, right? Yep. But don't fight this idea that he's inaccurate. He is. doesn't mean he can't play a great game. doesn't mean he can't go a game with, with being accurate, but it doesn't change who he is, which is a fundamentally inaccurate passer of the football. Um, but yet, for some reason, Panthers fans get bogged down in this. Like, well, what do you say now? Oh, yeah, you're right. Because he strung 15 of them together, he's now an accurate quarterback. Everything that just happened over the last six years is irrelevant. Good call, Panthers fan. No. Wow. Cam Newton is inaccurate. The end. Move on, though. You can still get excellent play out of him. You got an MVP season out of the guy. Yeah, he, he is capable he of phenomenal awesome play. <laughs> All I was saying is watching this game was kind of funny because Flacco against Cam Newton, there were, there were stretches in this game where nobody had any idea where the ball was going to go. Could have gone anywhere. Defenders, you know, overthrow, underthrow, bouncing to the hands of a running back in the end zone off an RPO. Oh, he threw two. He had two batted passes that went right to... McCaffrey. Right. Or the one that McCaffrey went to for the touchdown. Yeah, but that was like an RPO where he hit the pass and then the run, the, like the fake on the RPO, ended up catching the ball in the end zone. It was one of the most weird plays you're ever going to see. Nice free touchdown. But, you know, Cam Newton played well. Um, the, the Panthers generally played well against the Ravens, which in and of itself is quite an achievement. We said they were the, the best average defense in the NFL, Steve. Yeah, they felt like a fraud. I mean, every defense is a fraud. So, uh, so uh, explain why you think the Panthers suck. I just never believe in their defensive talent, and they always seem to overachieve. I mean, on paper, they really shouldn't get after the quarterback all that well. You've got you know, 48-year-old Julius Peppers. Keekley's awesome in the middle, and then the secondary is just so inconsistent. You know, year to year, you, know, you look at James Bradbury. He went from really intriguing rookie to not great in his sophomore year. So you just have this inconsistency up and down the roster from a personnel standpoint. But I also think this is one of those teams that generally outplays their PFF grades. So you credit the coaching staff overall. And I think that's, that's just where they are. Okay. So credit the Panthers. I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's a good win. I, didn't think, I don't think the Ravens are a great team. I thought they overachieved early, beat up on some lesser teams. But this, it's, a, it's an important good win for the Panthers. Uh, Jets and the Bears, 24-10 to 10 Bears over the Jets. All I'll say, again, Trubisky continues to, to buck the trend for us from a grading versus stats standpoint, but he's become really valuable as a runner. <laughs> and it, it just looks like he's straight one read and take off at this point, but from a scrambling standpoint and even from a design run standpoint, I mean, he's actually becoming a pretty good weapon for that Bears offense. Yeah. His, oh, God. His passer rating is 102 yesterday. Yeah. The, uh, he's... he's 
kind of concerning as a quarterback at this point. But six, but this is so it's almost like I came to this realization in the college game a couple of years ago, um, where you could have like JT Barrett would have games where he was ten for twenty five for ninety yards, but then he'd run the ball twenty times for a hundred yards. And it's like, all right, that's valuable in the college game if you use a guy in the design run game. Trubisky's not at that level. It's not that extreme. But he goes six carries for 51, three of which are designed, three scrambles for 31 yards, and you just start moving the chains here and there. You get some interception luck like he's had this year. I don't even want to mention the name of the quarterback that he's starting to remind me of because it's just not worth going there, but it's not good. Vince Young? No. Right idea, though. Interesting. Oh, dear. I just... The, the fact that he has a pass rating of 100 yesterday when all you saw him do was essentially run around and, you know, dump off some passes is terrifying. Yeah, well, this is – so we you look at his game. He has one game that we've graded him above average all season. And it was the six-touchdown game against Tampa Bay where he was he was spectacular against a bad Tampa Bay defense. But, again, I think this is today's NFL where you can scheme things up. You can you can surround quarterbacks. The ultimate goal as a pass offense is to just get to get to the result, right? No matter how you get there. Yeah. And if you can mask a quarterback enough by playmakers and scheme to get the stats to get the final result from a pass game, then like we have to the analysis here is to credit the Bears. Yes. For what they've done. But the problem is with that is it just isn't sustainable long term. It's not. I mean, if you get quarterback play like that, it shouldn't. Scheme eventually gets worked out. We saw that with, you know, Chip Kelly and the stuff he was doing with the Eagles guys. Um, Even if the scheme doesn't get worked out, at some point you're going to need the quarterback to take a step above that because it'll get slowed down. And you're going to have to go up against Jared Goff and the Rams or, you know, uh, the Chiefs or the Patriots. You're going to have to actually step it up. And the quarterback needs to do more than simply be a right-handed Tim Tebow. Wow. Tim Tebow. Wow. It's not bad. Tebow was so much more uh, of a downfield thrower that he couldn't get aided. Like, his stats were never going to be good either. Yeah. Trubisky's in this nice system. There are other evaluation methods that have Trubisky as a top 10 quarterback this year. Top 8, even. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I disagree with those. Mm. They uh, generally rely more heavily on the run game, which, again, I think he's adding a ton of value as a runner this year. And they're also not doing what we do, which is separate the kind of coaching scheme element and the quarterback. No, I think it's the best thing that we do. It's separate. We separate air yards because a lot of people like focus on air rating, yards. Right? We, f- we separate air yards. We separate yards after the catch. We separate dropped interceptions, dropped passes. I mean, that's another thing. He's got hardly any of his passes dropped. That was the thing we said about Deshaun Watson last year. If you only have two passes dropped all year, that's like five or six points on your passer rating alone. But that's, it's like the difference between passer rating and grade, right? Passer rating is not actually a, a quarterback metric necessarily. It's the overall metric of how the passing game is going, right. which can be quarterback-driven. It can be receiver-driven. It can be you know the whole thing. So those things aren't – they're doing exactly the same thing. They're essentially just modifying passer rating, whereas what we're doing is trying to tell you what – part the quarterback played not what part the passing game had right so again i'd say the analysis from a pff standpoint credit the bears for scheming it up and for catching passes only five drop passes all year gonna be tough to sustain yeah this level of pass game for the bears um the other prediction that i made on sunday that came true what did i say about the bucks and Bengals game i said tune in about 345 350 in the afternoon and some spectacular stuff is going to be happening now what i didn't know is that it was going to be fitz magic out there yes. doing it that was awesome. It's magic is back. Jameis Winston terrible was terrible. What? I just I just posted our numbers. Hold on for turnover worthy plays for okay. the season. He's tied for third or tied for fourth. Tied for fourth with thirteen, and he missed yeah. the first few games of the season. I think my favorite thing that happened in this game is that Winston was just throwing seams all day long, including to like Bengals defenders. Right, right. Just drop back. Well, there's a seam right here. I'm going to throw it. Oh, oh, there's a safety there. My bad. Um, Fitzpatrick came in and they showed him a seam route and the safety bit right on it because he'd seen 15 of them already that day. And then Fitzpatrick just threw the ball right over his head for an easy touchdown. Just the safety had gone Fitz. AWOL and the cornerback was waiting for the safety help and Fitzpatrick just took an easy touchdown. I think that was fantastic. It was like, we're putting a new quarterback and we'll show them exactly what we've shown them all day long, except instead of Jameis throwing the ball straight to it, we'll go somewhere else. It was genius. It's great. Is still coming down. Fitzpatrick's or Jameis? Jameis. Yeah. Upon review. Just 
Well, this certainly isn't your year, right? Your year that it's going to no. all come together for Jameis, and we're going to see. No, so you're you're over the there. Great. You're over there tweeting at me like, "Oh, Jameis is going to break out and everything." I said, "In any given year, right? This so, year is not going to be so." The year. Yesterday's performance has nothing to do with Jameis's potential 2023 breakout season. <laughs> has nothing to do with it. Uh, it it so, doesn't. It doesn't change my analysis. Mike Renner said something which is probably quite true, which is he has neither gotten better nor worse since his freshman season. He's the same guy. Oh, yeah. And, that's, is, and this is kind of my point, is that he's going to be the same guy until he quits playing. He is essentially Jay Cutler. And what you are doing is the same thing every NFL GM did, which is going, maybe this is the year we get Jay Cutler. We get the ceiling Jay Cutler. This is where it comes. Oh, and every year, you're out there going, this is the Jameis year. He's going to put it all together. We're going to eliminate the mistakes. He's, he's going to hit all those seams. He's got a better grading profile than Cutler. I would say I'm Cutler. Cutler did get to play in some of those schemes that elevated him a little bit. Winston is in this. He's actually like Andrew Luck with all the pressures been on him the last couple of years. It's all downfield passing. There's no yards after the. He's not as good as Andrew Luck. I'm not bring back the comparison, <laughs> right? He's not as good as Andrew Luck, but he's in that same style of play. Anyway, credit the Bengals for uh, for holding off Fitzmagic for able for being able to just handle. Even though God, they I thought he was going to do it, I they thought he was it. coming all the way back. So Fitz is going to start going forward, right? I should. Like at this point, why? I mean, yeah, why not? Go for it. Um, over on the fantasy side, Scott Barrett has been digging out the numbers. Did you know that the uh, the Bucks have the most passing yards through eight weeks of the season in NFL history? No, because Fitzpatrick plus Jameis. Nah. Do you they, know what? Uh, so they, they threw for four seventy two yesterday. Nice. Moving on to the next game. Sorry, I'm translating sorry. or not translating? Transitioning. Yeah, that's uh, it. Damon Harrison, right? Got his debut, Schnacks, for the Lions. Obviously did what Schnacks did, which is led the team in defensive stops. Uh, also, I think, led all defensive linemen in defensive stops this week. But here's where it gets fun. Snacks, because he played this week, is going to play 17 games this season if he stays healthy. Oh, yeah. Which means he is almost certainly going to break the record for defensive stops for a defensive lineman, which is oh, his wow. own record. But he's going to break it because he plays 17 games this year, right? That's fantastic. Isn't it? And also, sticking with him, nothing sums things up better than you trade for big snacks. You get exactly what you thought. He becomes the high, he's the highest-graded player on the Lions' defense. And it doesn't matter. They give up 28 points because Russell Wilson has a perfect passer rating, 14 for 17 for 248 and three touchdowns, the last touchdown of which we actually gave a negative grade because it should have been picked. Yeah. It should have been picked by um, Diggs. Well, not just that. Zone. But other than that, Wilson was spectacular. Not just that, but the Seahawks also ran for 176 yards. So well, even they ran you, like 800 <laughs> times, didn't they? Yeah. But even though you added the best run defender in the NFL, they still put up 176 because one guy does not make a defense. They went 42. So this was the game. This was the game that like the Lions envisioned their team being. This is the game that the Seahawks envisioned their. This is. It, it happens like twice a year. Where it's like, okay, we're, we run the ball efficiently 42 times for 176. We only have to pass it 17 times. It's like this perfect mesh of you know staying on schedule and scoring points through the pass game and all this fun stuff. Granted, one of those runs was Michael Dixon on that weird, like... That's true. That helped. Delay of game slash, oh, look, there's free space here I Nine can yards. take. Nine yards on that. Yeah. That was fascinating. But this is the game that coaches like Envision... And it literally happens once or twice a year. And you're just hoping that you build a team that does this every week, which is just unrealistic. Yeah. Again, run game hating. But credit to the Seahawks. They, uh, they played that perfect game that they wanted. And uh, the Lions fall to last in the NFC North. Chiefs in Denver did the same thing as they did the last game, which is Denver did quite a good job of slowing down the Chiefs offense, just yeah. not enough to actually win the game. And I was tweeting it yesterday, too. Look, Patrick Mahomes still playing awesome. I still hate the fact that he's got this shovel pass to Kareem Hunt where he just you know leaps three dudes on the way to the end that zone for a touchdown pass. Play. But you can't stop the Chiefs offense because all of a sudden Sammy Watkins is the inside guy in the slot, isolated on a linebacker, runs a two-way go and beats him by 20 steps for a touchdown. This, I mean, it's just so tough to stop them. This is what I've been saying about why they remind me of the 98 Vikings, because it's the guy you forget about on a given week who's going to kill you. Yep. You think you've got everything under control. All right, we've got Travis Kelsey relatively buttoned up. We've got um, you know Tyree Kill relatively slowed down. We're, we're okay with the amount of damage they're doing. And then, ah, oh, crap, Sammy Watkins, eight catches for 107 yards and two touchdowns. We forgot about that. We don't have that one covered this week, and that's the difference. 
that's basically what this Chiefs offense is every any given week. You can only take away so many things, and it's the one you don't figure out how to take away that they get you with because there's too much talent. We have some uh, comments. We have some questions in the comments. One about the Chiefs. Can they sustain this level of play in the postseason, or will they disappoint? I honestly think they're at the point where, again, it's like facing one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. You just have to hope that Mahomes starts missing throws. You have to hope that he has a bad game. And and there's been, like, if you're nitpicking, there's been a few times through the year where it's always forcing passes, always a little bit late. You have to hope that that's what happens the week you play them. So that's definitely one thing that could happen, right? Patrick Mahomes has a bad game, and they just don't. They don't get it done that week. The Obviously, the other thing is the freak turnovers. Turnovers change games. Yeah, if sure. you get two bad ones in a Chiefs game, that can be the difference if a team's capable of living with them in a, in a shootout. The third way is, and this is a very specific thing, but if you're a team like the Patriots, there is that game plan to dealing with a high-powered offense. If you can just keep your offense on the field and execute this series of 10 12 14 play drives chew up the clock and just don't give them the time to do the damage because it's going to come down to possessions right and even if they keep you know you execute this 14 play drive they answer in three plays and score a touchdown and you're back out you do the same thing at times it can seem really futile and really pointless but because it's all so quick strike if they screw it up once it, you, you've done the job, right? If right. you get, you know, they, the Chiefs answer back and it's touchdown, 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 but then they go three and out. Now suddenly you're back chewing the clock and you can wipe out a giant portion of the game. And if you do that at the right time, heading into halftime or heading into the end of the game, that can be the difference in terms of game flow of just knocking them off the possessions thing. You know what else sounds a little silly too? You're right. So the Chiefs can actually play that on the other end though from a defensive standpoint. The Chiefs' defense gives up a lot, but if they could just make one key stop, right. one key stop, they're giving their offense a chance. The other thing, I think refereeing is actually a major factor. Like, if you can get physical, there's always some refs that will let things go down the field a little bit more. If you can get physical with Tyreek Hill down the, down the field, maybe get away with some little extra holding on Kelsey. I mean, there is there are some crews that allow more things to go, and I think that's Particularly a in that's the playoffs. What we're looking at. Especially, yeah, in the playoffs. And we've seen... In the playoffs, historically, great offenses have been shut down before. Yeah. From the 07 Patriots to the 2013 Broncos. We've seen great offenses slow down before, so it's easy to sit here in the middle of the year and say... I will say, I mean, we made the point before, I think the difference is that there isn't great defense anymore. There's no answer to the 2013 Seahawks so far. It's very difficult to play good defense. Unless a team materializes down the stretch, there isn't a defense that's capable of doing that the way they did it to the Broncos that year. No, it's definitely true. Uh, Redskins at the Giants. Some people in the comments are asking for uh, Pat Shermer analysis. Let's blame Shermer. I have to say, our, I, I got to hand it to our Green Line guys. Before the season, they said the easiest, the easiest win when it comes to win projection was under seven wins for the Giants because the roster across the board just isn't good. The roster is just not good. Eli Manning cannot make up for what they have. What they're, what they're lacking. Eli Manning had one of the worst games I've ever seen from a quarterback yesterday. He was terrible. Um, he was just heaving the ball at Odell Beckham Jr. almost regardless of what was presented to him. It's like, oh, look, Odell's running a slant. Let's throw it to Odell. It's like, dude, there's two people between you and him. This, I mean, no, that's not open. Um, there were a couple of just ridiculous arm punts down the field where it looked like his entire thought process was – how much? How high into the air can I get this ball and push it vaguely down the field and let's yeah. see if somebody comes up with it? Like, I mean, whatever about Pat Shermer, but you can't win with a quarterback playing like that. Yeah. And the, now, Eli hasn't necessarily been the worst thing about this team this season. He was yesterday. Yeah, he was. And, and defensively, it's not like they've got a ton of talent. Like, Landon Collins is a star. Janoris Jenkins is a solid corner. Olivier Vernon is, is a good pass rusher. What do they have beyond that? The defense has issues. The offensive line has issues. And Eli just can't make up for it on a week-to-week basis. Again, he, he's kind of like Bortles at this point in his career. He could piece together enough games that make you believe that he could do something. And, but he'll have games like this where he can't. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that that Washington defense, I think, is good. Um, they are Which good. doesn't help the fact that the Giants can't get anything done. Saquon Barkley was bottled up completely. Um, I think... Well, the bottom line here is that they ran into a better team. Washington are a better team than New York at the moment, and Eli Manning had a stinker of a game, so it just looked worse. 
Alex Smith, just a winner, man. Just a winner. 5.6 yards per attempt, and they win. He just finds a way to win. Adrian Peterson getting it done again. Yeah, that was Damn, after the fumble. He was blowing it, but we kind of screwed that up at the end. We didn't screw anything up. Yeah, we did. What do you mean? We said Adrian Peterson would be an inconsequential signing. Turns out he's not. It's quite consequential. The consequences are great. I don't know. I think Alex Smith's a more important signing. Alex Smith has the knack for winning these 20 to 13 games. He makes his defense play better. Mm-hmm. QB wins, baby. He's 5-2. and two. Yeah. What's Cousins? Hmm. Well, yeah, he's, he's not 8-0, so he's not great. Makes you think. All right, what else we got left? Bad games. Uh, Colts beat the Raiders 42-28. The Colts offense okay. is really starting to come together. The offensive line's playing better. Too little too late, though, probably. 3-5. Mm, eh, I think they might have a run in them. I don't think that division is put away yet. The, I still don't think the Texans are particularly good, um, so they may still have a shot. The Raiders are terrible, so that's going to help them put up a lot of points. Um, particularly the Raiders' pass rush is non-existent. It's like it's not there. The Colts have scored over 30 points in four out of their last five games, including 37 against the Bills. Right. Bills have a pretty good And their offensive line is coming together. Um, it's looking better. Nelson has been grading way better than he started the season. Like It's just a steady incline for him. Now, again, the Raiders' pass rush doesn't exist, so that's going to help. But, yeah, that team is looking a lot better. One of the plays of the week came out of that game with, uh, who was it? What was the receiver's name? Ali Cole. Ali Co. Yeah, Mo Ali Cox. Ali Cox. Mo Ali Cox with a one-handed snag in the end zone. Um, one of those great one-handers where the ball just hits his mitt and sticks. Stuck. Like it doesn't even change. He doesn't have to pull it in. or It just grabs, plucked out of the sky, and goes down for the touchdown. Uh, the Colts continue to lead the league in just um, surprising players. Yeah. Players you've never heard of, Sam. Mo Ali Cox. Star of the game. So the Colts, keep an eye on them. The offense, the Raiders continue to really, really struggle defensively. That's why, you guys, Raiders fans, check out my mock draft. I revamped your defense on profootballfocus.com and here on the YouTube channel. Two more 40, teams that need to check out the mock draft. 49ers at Cardinals. I have nothing on this game, this except was, I picked the Cardinals this correctly. This is terrible. Dude, that, I had the 49ers, and they should have won, and then they just conspired to well, they piss didn't. it away at the end. Well, they didn't. It was terrible. The Cardinals, both these teams were awful. Like, it was just miserable. This, so the 4 p.m. games, right? There's three TVs out there in our little setup, and there was three 4 p.m. games. We had them all up there. And you're just like, this, nothing is worth watching about this game. It's awful. It is wretched. It's just, it was miserable. It was like pre, our preview for this game is that there was no reason to watch this game, right? That was, what, it was your notes. Reasons to watch this game, nothing. Our post-game analysis... There was no reason to watch this Another game. Another game we predicted perfectly. <laughs> wow, we're doing a great job. There was no reason to watch this game. The listeners need something terrible. to take away from this game, though. I'll say. Dayon Buchanan, linebacker for the Cardinals, he had played only 13 snaps in his previous three games. He played 39, and he played well. Okay. Josh Rosen actually made some really nice passes. Right at the end, where the 49ers decided to throw the game away, Rosen made a couple of darts to actually take it away, in addition to them throwing it away. So that was nice. Rosen remains kind of up and down. Like, it's, it's so hard to judge him because he's dealing with the worst offensive line in the NFL. Not one of the worst. They are awful. Um, so it's, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's so bad that it's difficult to fairly judge wh- what he's doing because it's just, it's incredible. I think from an analysis standpoint, he's playing with house money. You just say anything he does yeah. above and beyond, you just, you just give him credit So for he it. is making some pretty special plays out there, but then his MO in college was kind of always he would make some special plays, and then there was a lot of bad. But now it's hard to judge, well, is the bad him, or is it because the offensive line is so awful he's always under pressure? And it's right. just it's very hard to take anything out of this season from him. they got some rebuilding to do, yeah, to say the least, in Arizona. Did that hit every game? You got them all? Uh, I think so. That's all of them. So there you have it. It's your week eight review. Thank you, Sam. We'll be back on Thursday to preview week nine. Yep. Already. Don't forget, get to profootballfocus.com. You guys can get the full analysis on every single game. It's part of your PFF Elite Package. Plus, midnight tonight, green line picks for next week. Your best value is on Tuesdays. So be sure to check it out. Again, all a part of your PFF Elite Package. Thanks, guys. Appreciate everyone tuning in live on YouTube and in the podcast world. We'll talk to you guys again on Thursday.
Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.